Hey everyone, this is The 20s Project with Sebastian and Jay. Today's interview is with Spencer Brown, a rising star in the dance music scene. Spencer, before the pandemic, was touring with Above and Beyond, and prior to that was opening sets for Avicii. In this interview, we got Spencer's take on focusing and staying authentic to yourself, and how those two things allow you to unlock levels of fulfillment and motivation in your career and your life. We also got Spencer's unfiltered take on the importance of mental health and his mental health journey. You're going to see a side of Spencer in this interview that you may not see when he's dropping a beat at Ultra or Tomorrowland. We're really excited to share this conversation with you. So without further ado, our chat with Spencer Brown. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Sebastian and Jay. This is the 20s Project. Uh, we're incredibly excited and honored that you're joining us. I'm a huge fan of you. I listen to you often, so it's it's amazing to have you here. We actually like to start these off zooming back to when you were a kid and just get a sense <laughs> of what you were like growing up. Take us back to Spencer when you were growing up in San Francisco or when you were, you were in high school in Dallas, Texas. What was that Spencer like? So... I music has really been the center point of my life really since I've been born when I was two years old I got my first drum set and I've always been a percussionist so I was playing drums when I was a toddler just teaching myself because my mom was mad that I was banging on her pots and pans and destroying everything in the house so <laughs> they got me a drum set and and that's really how it all kicked off and I just remember my earliest memories are like sitting in the living room getting my dad's tapes and CDs and just sitting there in the living room just listening to cds and tapes just for hours just like classical music jazz funk r&b old dance music just anything i was just obsessed that's all i was doing and as an only child i didn't have brothers or sisters to play with so i was just it was just me and music always so yeah i, I took up some other instruments as i got older i started playing guitar i started playing bass i played piano not as well as drums drums is always my main thing i'm always a percussionist but but i can play the other ones like it i can get around and i i got into production because i could play all these instruments i'm like i want to write my own music now i i can be a one-man band or something so i started doing that when i was maybe nine or 10 maybe 11 years old somewhere in there i was just trying to figure out the ins and outs of recording so i was recording the like little tapes and then it turned into getting like an all-in-one kind of mixer thing that i could record to mm. and it was just messing around but i i would just do it every single day and until i discovered dance music and then that's when everything changed i'm like this needs to be my life this is the best scene for me this is so authentic for me and that's when things changed. So I was about 12 when I discovered 12. dance music. Yeah, oh, wow. somewhere around there. When did you realize the path you're on today was probably the path you wanted to pursue? What age did that happen? It's honestly always just been following my heart with all of this. I There wasn't really ever a point where I'm like, oh, this could be like a career. Because I never actually, I, I guess I, I, there was a point where I did go for it when I was like 22. But it was always just following my heart and following my passion and doing it for fun. And it was like really a part-time kind of job from when I really started DJing when I was 13. So I've been DJing for 15 years now, which is pretty wild, over half my life. And it was always a part-time gig. It was bringing an income. And I was yeah. playing gigs. Yeah. But I couldn't live off it, really. I think the major turning point was when I finished college. And I was sort of like, do I want to continue looking for a job? I was half looking for jobs, half kind of working on a startup kind of thing and half kind of making music. And then I was just what, if I'm not committed to music 
full time like right now in this weird period right after college, then I'm not going to make this into a full time gig. So that's really when I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. Even if this isn't a full time gig, I'm still going to do it. So so just might as well. So I told my family, give me six months at home. I was like, just give me six months. I'll figure it out in six months. Or let I'm me out. live in the guest room. Yeah, I let me live in the guest room. And I lived in the guest room for six months, and I just made music for 15 hours a day. Love and that. And then started touring that's, and that's insane. have a living. Yeah. So fo- wow. fo- the big lesson there is really the focus. Don't spread mm-hmm. your, yourself too thin. Go for what, you, what you love. Exactly. If you want to do something, and this is just advice from my life, if you're interested in something and you want to do something, I would really go all in on that thing. If you believe in yourself and you believe in your idea, it's imagine everyone else, there's all this noise in the world and everyone is, you know, trying to do something. If you are devoting half your time to something and someone else is devoting a hundred percent of their time to something, it's obviously the, the person who is develop, or devoting 100% of the time is going to be the one who is succeeding in that in that thing. So in my opinion, you can pivot, you can change things that you want to do, but if you really want to do something, you really need to put your time and energy into it as so, long as you can. Taking a step back, you started playing music when you were 12. Fast forward, by the time you're 18, 19, you're starting at Duke. I believe it was your freshman year or maybe your sophomore year, you sent a message to Avicii's manager basically just send him a track i love this story by the way i don't think a lot of people know it but you just send him a track and you were like give me a chance and i was all of a yeah, sudden, it was i was a senior in high school at the time oh, oh you're wow. a senior in high so, school. yeah yeah wow, wow. <laughs> but but the, the crazy things you go from playing at 30 people's frat parties at duke to all of a sudden opening for the legendary avici 30,000 people massive venue was there a factor of luck in there? Was this a culmination of, of all the work that you had been doing and your passion towards music? Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, there's always a factor of luck in anything, but it's, it's a little cliche, but it's you almost have to create your own luck. No one saw the 50, maybe even 100 rejections I got before Avicii actually recognized my music. Like I was emailing all these labels and emailing all these managers and no one's responding. Your stuff is terrible. Your stuff sucks. They literally said, do they, they literally said that? Yeah. It's, it's just like your stuff. This is not for us. Like, this is not very good. Wow. I I don't know. Like just labels, like whatever. And I'm like, just keep on going at it. Keep on going at it. It was a wild west at the time. It was a different time. It was like 10 years ago in dance music where social media is just starting to bud. Like Facebook was really the main thing at the time. Then I sent Avicii's manager a message on Facebook when I was 17 or 18 saying, please give me one chance. And I sent him one demo and he actually opened it a couple of days later and responded, Hey, this is pretty good. Do you have anything else to send? I'm like, what, like what's going on? Are you going to send it to Tim? And he's like, I sent it to Tim. We really like what we hear. Just send us some more stuff. And then a year later, I'm playing at the Hollywood Bowl with, wow. uh, with Avicii. It was crazy. Wait, wow, I have so many questions. That's an insane story. But I think you highlighted something really important there. And it's actually a question I have myself sometimes when it comes to approaching any project or thing you want to accomplish. So you're sending 100 emails like out to these different labels, different people trying to get recognized. During that process, um, did you change your approach 
to like how you sent those emails or what music you were sending or were you just persistent with that same approach? To be honest, at the time, I felt like I was a really annoying kid. I was so persistent that people were really <laughs> getting annoyed with me. Like I was constantly messaging people and constantly just trying to get my music out there. And I didn't know any other way than like really spamming people with, with <laughs> emails. And I, I don't recommend that because I got lucky. I didn't, I was not spamming Avicii's team, but, but yeah, honestly, it's a game of persistence because if you believe in yourself, that's all that matters at the end of the day. Like it just takes one person to also believe in you for something to happen. Like it doesn't matter if 99 out of a hundred people don't really believe in you or don't think that you have anything special because it just takes one. And it's almost like once you get one stamp of approval, you may get some more stamps of approval. And from those, you get more respect. And from those, you get more respect. And then it's like a uh, snowball effect of being able to get respect. And obviously, there is some sort of self-doubt in any creative process at any time. Like sometimes I'll have months in the studio where I'm making music and I'm like, have I lost it? Can I not make anything? And then all of a sudden, I make something I'm so proud of out of nowhere. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I still am making something I'm proud of. You know what I mean? So <laughs> there's always a, there's always a sense of self doubt in, in any creative pursuit. But I think persistence, don't be annoying, but I do recommend being persistent because you need to make your own noise. No one else will believe in you if you don't believe in yourself. So after, after you got this chance, tell us what it's like to be opening for Avicii. More importantly, what was Avicii like as a person, as a friend, as a mentor? What did he mean to you? To be honest, it was it, there were a couple things about that time where I felt like what I was trying to do with my music was not quite aligned with the crowds I was playing to with Avicii's crowds, because I think that's a little more of a pop focused crowd. And I, with nothing against pop, I think Avicii was tremendously talented. I loved his music too, but I'm doing something a little different. Like I love making like house music and techno and progressive house and deep house and like all that kind of thing. That's really where my heart is. So I was trying to stay authentic to myself when I was playing um, these gigs. And I think maybe 10% of people there were like, oh, this is cool. And then 90% of people like out of the 20,000 probably was way over their head. But I think that's a point. You really need to stay authentic, even if you're presented with that opportunity. I still have people today who are like, I remember seeing you at Rogers Center in Toronto, and I remember you were playing like this amazing progressive music, and I've been a fan for the last seven or eight years or whatever that is. And I, I think that the, something that's really important with that is if you are staying authentic, people stay. Like as long as you are following your heart, the goal is not to get as many people as possible because I think you just lose a lot of people if you're just shooting for like getting everyone's attention really fast and then everyone kind of forgets. But I think if you're staying really authentic, even if you're not pleasing a lot of people like in a certain way, the ones you really please, those people will stick with you for the rest of your career. I need to find more people like those people who really enjoyed what I did. I need to find more of that because I'm going to stay authentic to myself. I'm not going to change what I do just to get more people to like me. And, and there's something in there, I think, that is a theme with you and how you approached your career, your life. You actually wrote this piece not too long ago about some of the struggles you were having with depression, anxiety. You said you hit your rock bottom in your 20s. And this phrase you keep repeating, being authentic to yourself and true to yourself, from what you wrote, I get the sense that was in conflict with you at that period in your life. You just felt like there was something about 
Spencer Brown, the world is seeing in Spencer Brown, what you were feeling internally that just wasn't very aligned. Can you just talk about your struggles there and how you came out on the other end? It was mainly rooted in not being comfortable with myself with regards to my sexuality is where most of my issues were stemmed because I didn't even realize that I was gay until I was 21, maybe. So like over halfway through college. And how can you be authentic, fully authentic to yourself if you don't even know who you are kind of thing? So it's like, it took me like a year to tell my family and to tell my friends. And there was a lot of struggle that came with that. I was in a really horrible place, like constantly. I was always stressed out. I was losing sleep over everything. And I didn't know who I was and like all this stuff, but but life like slowly improved after that when I started telling people. And and only recently I really came out publicly to the fans in the last year, really. I was never like closed about it. I wouldn't deny it or something, but I never really publicly talked about it. And that was the last step to being fully authentic so people really know who I am. And I think that's so important. Again, if you are yourself, that is all you can be and that creates the longest term career if you are being yourself and you're interested in what you're interested in and you're passionate about what you do and you're being authentic to yourself and you're all that if you're trying to be someone you're not that's i think when careers don't last as long how does support systems come into play when you have something like that that you haven't told your friends i mean support systems are absolutely so important i'm really really blessed for a great family first and foremost like i love everyone in my family they've always been super supportive and i think that's really lucky because not everyone has a family who is supportive of endeavors or of who you are or something like that so that's just something i got lucky with but if you don't really have a family support system, I think it's really important to find, to surround yourself with people like with friends or a lover or something like that who are supportive because I could not be where I am today and I could not be comfortable with myself had I not had these strong support systems through my life, especially in the music industry. It's, it's a very cutthroat industry. So I think it's really important to stay grounded with your friends and family because you can almost get lost if you lose that grounding, if that yeah. makes sense. Like staying grounded with people you love is, I would argue, the most important thing to stay mm. sane, especially when you're trying to build something for the world. Yeah. How do you do that? Do you have certain routines, frameworks? Is it just a mindset? Keeping up, making an effort to spend time with genuine people. And honestly, if there's someone who's not bringing good energy in your life, I think it's it's important to like almost... Cut, yeah, just give the time. You only have a certain amount of time in the day. And I think it's really important mm-hmm. to give the people who bring you love and love you for who you are. That's the most important people to give the most of your time. And okay. if someone's bringing toxic energy, it's you can't have toxic energy in your life. Like Life is too short and you don't have enough time to be devoting time to a toxic relationship or something like that. You, you just can't. You can't have that in your life. And I think that's that to answer your question. I think focusing on rather than being like, cut all the bad people out of your life. It's like <laughs> focus on the good people in your life. I yeah. think that's a, like a, a happier way to, to explain the same thing. It's like focus on the good people. Okay. So focusing on maybe some happier stories, we really want to hear 
A, what is, what's your best concert experience ever been? And then also, what's your craziest story from being on tour? So that, it's going to be hard to nail it down to one, but I have a few off the top of my head that I can, because I'm, I'm very blessed to have played the, the, the best festivals in the world and the best venues in the world. I've played at Tomorrowland, Ultra, EDC, Creamfields. I've played at Red Rocks, which is like a dream come true for me. That's one of my favorite venues in the world. The Gorge the Hollywood Bowl, TD Garden, like all these iconic venues I'm blessed to have played. So it's almost like it's hard to nail it down to one, but one specific show I think was really special because I had family with me. It's, it's, I brought my dad on my India tour with me over the past last summer because my dad's very familiar with India. He's done a lot of work there, so he was showing me around and stuff like that because he knew the cities fairly well. And I had a show in Mumbai on a Sunday I had no, I've never been to Mumbai. I didn't know what it was all about. And we finished the show. It was just electric energy everywhere. And we're leaving the, like just such a good, everyone's so passionate. It was amazing. One of the best shows I've played. And we're leaving the club. And the driver to get back to our hotel is nowhere to be found. And we're all leaving the same door with all the fans. So it's me and my dad, like a few <laughs> security people, and then the guy trying to get the car. And we're like, okay. He's, I don't know where the car is, but let, let's just walk down the street to get away from the people. And we start walking down the street and all of a sudden there's like paparazzi, like unlike anything I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> people with like cameras and video cameras and everyone's selfies. And like they were calling my dad, Mr. Brown, because my last name's Bruno, but, but they, it's, I'm Spencer Brown. So they thought he was Mr. Brown. So everyone's trying to take selfies with my dad and securities were dodging through. It's like all these people <laughs> running all over and taking pictures. And my dad's like, is this what touring is always? <laughs> no, this is not what it is like. But it was a really memorable, that's just a funny moment on tour. That doesn't happen. Normally, yeah, there's fan pictures, and, but there's not a stampede of a hundred maybe 200 people running through the alleys of Mumbai where I'm like I'm in between security down. guards. My dad is in between security guards. We're trying to get a car oh and God. like people are taking pictures and shoving cameras in my face. It was funny. We were laughing. It wasn't scary, but it was like, it was just an unforgettable experience to go through with my dad. And I think, I think when you share some of these experiences again with people you love i think that's what makes them more powerful that's awesome that's, that's a great message i love that bringing it back to your music illusion of perfection i have your album right here mm, nice <laughs> you nice. appreciate this uh, it's been laying on this I desk the this, entire time i bought this a couple of years when it just released and i love this album by the way and what i think Thank is you. special is that you start in the first song and you go through the entire album without shuffling because you have all the perfect transitions song to song. So you can just listen to it for hours without having this disruption. And I think it's amazing that this goes against trends today of like just releasing a single. So tell us about the art of staying different and not feeling like you have to follow the trends of releasing a particular single at any given point, but rather staying authentic, which is what we were discussing before. For me, with no offense whatsoever to the streaming platforms or anyone listening to this, I really don't like to put out radio edited three minute single. It's like, it kills the point of what I try to do with my music. I intend for my music to take people on journeys and to have the appetizer and the main course and the dessert and the, the little nose bouche at the beginning and like all these <laughs> different things. I want, I want to create a fine dining experience. And by p pumping out these singles, 
it almost kills what I'm doing. And I'm not saying I never do that because I do. Sometimes you need to. There's a track. I'm like, oh, this could be a radio track. So I would cut it up into an edit. And then if it's played on the radio, that's great. But that's not everything. And I think there's this mentality of everything has to be radio edited. And and like, you got to pump out these radio edited singles, like single. And then a month later, single. And then a month later, <laughs> single. I'm like, and I'm really against that. So I was like, how can I do this in a creative way? That's why I decided to make it a continuous mix album because they're a little edited, like they're a bit shorter of tracks because they're all mixed together. But I do it in a creative way where you just enjoy the whole album. And then I did it for my second album. And I'm probably going to continue doing that, to be honest, because it's about what am I trying to say? Like in a book, like in a novel or something, you don't just read the spark notes and you understand what the novel is about. And that's kind of how I feel with my music. And maybe it won't, it doesn't reach as many people. I know if I chopped it up and I made all these singles and stuff, I probably could have way more streams. I probably could reach more people, but that never ends is what I've realized. Like where hmm. if say, say I get, you know, you know, we're doing, we got 20 or 30 million streams on the albums, which is solid. But say I was shooting for 100 million streams or, or something like that. If I hit that, I'm like, oh, I could have hit 250 million streams right. on the album. And if that, once you hit that, you're like, oh, I could have hit 500 million so streams on the moving album. Moving it never, it never ends. So the key of that is just stay authentic and yeah. do what you want to do. And then the people who do, who it does resonate with, it deeply resonates with them because you're staying authentic. And I'll, I'll always stay authentic, like in that regard. That's all you can do. <laughs> you go into these concerts and you don't even have a playlist in mind. You haven't even figured out even three minutes before the set starts. So tell us a little bit about what it's like to be, you know, in that set and creating this experience. Yes. Yeah, so... To give a background for the listeners, when I'm performing live, I'd say 90 to 95% will be music that I've composed myself. And I make music that's a little more chill, a little more deep, a little like kind of vibey. And then I also make like a banging, like hard stuff. And I think it's important to have this big repertoire because then I come in with this big repertoire of music. Like I have all this, I have like this hard techno and I have this chill deep house and I have this like more progressive, groovy, cool music. And I'll come into the venue having an idea of what it is. So say I'm playing a dark warehouse set in New York. I'll prepare before I'll have all this music in basically a few playlists of low energy, mid energy, high energy. But I don't know what the crowd is going to be like. I don't know what the vibe is going to be like. So it's all about reading the room for me. I don't know what I'm going to need to do to control the crowd. I'm, I, I, I love the classical arc of DJing because I've been DJing for 15 years. I, I sound like an old man, like I've been DJing for 15 years, but, but I do. It's one of my strengths and I think it's important to play to your strengths. Like, I learned how to read a crowd from playing bar mitzvahs when we were 15 years old, where no one cares that I'm DJing, and you have to get people dancing and moving. So it's if they're not dancing, you need to do something about it. And so it's still to this day, I start the set off deep and chill, ease my way into it, not, not start out too slamming. And then it's a push and a pull and a push and a pull. And you want the whole set to everything wants to build and build and build as the night goes on and you create energy and then you create a big moment. And you want to pull back a little bit. And you want to create a bigger moment. And then you want to pull back a little bit. And it's impossible to plan moments for me if it's set in stone already. Because say you're getting into this, say you start playing a little darker, a little more tech, like 
techno, like really dark and peep and the place is going off and save my pre-recorded thing or like my pre-planned thing. Then we start to go into melodic stuff that could kill the vibe of the party. Mm. If it's really popping off, you want to keep on riding off that vibe and go down that vibe. So that's why for me, I love to come in very organized, but not prepared for exactly what I'm going to do. But organization is really key to making that happen. Because if you're not organized, it's going to be a train wreck. That's actually a great segue into something we wanted to ask you. I think when the average person thinks about your career, it's, okay, this guy just wakes up, he creates in a vacuum, like super creative, puts the stuff together, like done. You have an engineering background from Duke. You're very technical about how you create your tracks. You're very methodical about how you approach your work. So can you just talk about that creation process and your frameworks? Definitely. Um, what I've found over the years, and I've been a lot more in touch with the muse lately, like really understanding how to translate spiritual energy and inspiration into actual form. It's something that I learn every year as an artist. I, I almost get closer and closer to feeling this connection with this deeper spiritual energy where you can pull from. And what I've realized about inspiration is inspiration can come from anywhere. Illusion of Perfection was heavily inspired by San Francisco, like nature, like going to Golden Gate Park and going to the Presidio and stuff like that. But then my second album, Stream of Consciousness, was heavily inspired by my relationship at the time. It was like a human. There was a human element in that in that album. And some of the stuff is inspired by a random encounter at a grocery store or something where someone does a really good deed for someone. Or I see like an old lady drop all their groceries and someone picks it up and like that. I'm like, oh, my God, that good energy can be transferred into something that I can actually make. You know what I mean? So I think the key in being in tune with the muse and your inspiration is being in the moment, like being present. And I think the more you understand mindfulness and the more you understand presence, the more you can actually be in touch with inspiration and feel like you have ideas. Because I find mm. when my mind is elsewhere or whatever, if I'm like really tired, I'm not motivated, I don't have inspiration. And there are weeks where that happens for me. But that's a key. I think for creatives, if you're not feeling creative that week, don't, don't mm. force it. It needs to come naturally because when it comes naturally, we go back to authenticity. What does your mindfulness process look like? Why don't we unpack yeah, that like, do, a little bit? Do you bit? meditate at all? I do. I have for six years. I sometimes get out of a good rhythm, but I've generally been in and out of good rhythms for the last six years. And that, that is extremely helpful. But I, Honestly, I think when, and I've realized this about my mind and, and the human mind in general, when you get too um, caught up in, in, in the future, you get a lot of anxiety. And it's what is going to happen when I was gay. It's what are people going to say if I tell people that I'm gay? Or, oh, what's the future of these shows? Am I going to play these shows if I'm getting anxiety? And if you focus too much in the past about, oh, like I messed this up, like... I'm such a screw up, I'm, I can't do this, that creates depression. And it's so when you're too far in the future, you get anxiety. When you're too far in the past, you get depression. Mm -hmm. And I think when you recenter, when because everyone naturally gets anxiety and depression different periods of your life. Like it, it just happens to everybody. But but I find when you recenter and you and you're you're like, 
I'm here now. I'm grounded. I'm, it's a beautiful day outside, and I really appreciate my living situation. I love my friends. I have a great studio in this house. And being grateful and showing you gratitude for these things, that is where the mindfulness that I've learned comes into place. And then inspiration comes. It's a pretty, pretty magical thing. Yeah, you, and you've also written a little bit about therapy and the role of therapy. So... I've been going to therapy for a really long time, and I, I think it's actually extremely important for someone who, if you're battling mental health problems or unsure of certain things, I think it's one of the most helpful things. But the thing about therapy is to find the right doctor. There's, It's hard to find someone you mesh with or someone you click with, but when you find that person and you can really work on yourself with that person, I think that's that brings out the the true benefits of therapy. So something I've seen therapy for, I was having these really intrusive thoughts where I didn't know why I would get these looping thoughts where I would like be hyper-focused on something that would just bother me and bother me. And I couldn't get this out of my head and I couldn't make music and I couldn't do anything. I would just be like consumed by these thoughts. And I was seeing this therapist and what I've realized is I've had undiagnosed OCD my whole life, and I've mm. seen this in, in different things in, in childhood, and it was really cool to put a name on it. And what I've learned, yeah. and I feel like I've made massive strive, strides in, in, in my OCD because OCD is a reassurance disease. Our, an OCD mind is constantly looking for reassurance. It's if there's like... I'm stressing out about, are people going to come to my show or in a new city where I've never played before? Let's say the Mumbai show we were talking about earlier. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, I don't even know anything about Mumbai. I don't know if there's fans in Mumbai. I don't know what's going to happen. Are people going to care about my music or are they not? And you stress yourself out. It's, you're looking for reassurance. I'll call the promoter. I'm like, are there people? Did people buy tickets? Like trying to get reassurance. The key in that is is not getting reassurance, is what I've realized with battling my OCD. This is what I've learned in therapy. You have to accept uncertainty. And that's that was the biggest breakthrough I made for myself. I hear my doctor's words in my head where he's like, you're looking for reassurance and I'm not going to give it to you. And I hear that every time I'm looking for reassurance. So that's once I've made these breakthroughs in, in my mental health, I've just noticed a crazy amount of sanity that's been regained in my life and now i'm like oh that's the ocd again not going to give that the time of day kind of thing and if i'm like stuck oh my god is this is this fill in the blank gonna happen i'm like i'm just looking for reassurance if it happens or if it doesn't happen i'm okay with that that's awesome I, i'd say personally I, I haven't gone through maybe it's the same struggles you have but I've also found therapy very helpful in the sense, and I think what you're talking about is just like that awareness um, yeah, of what's yeah, going sure. on. Like it's in, it's insane how this sitting with someone, and I think it's funny just to speak about my experience. Is like, it's one of those things when you go, usually people land up going when they're actually in this bad period and that's what prompts them to go. But then once you go, you realize like, why haven't I been doing this for years? Yeah, like, I know, I know, it's like right? going to the gym. Cause it's like, how nice is it to have scheduled time to just like offload things that are just, on your chest. I was actually listening to an interview with Michael Phelps recently, and he's been very outspoken about his experience with therapy. And so I think we're starting to see people from different areas of life come out and talk about their experience with it. So I, I think it's very powerful. And, and personally, I found it very helpful as well. So it, it is. It's like, I think, as you said, the stigma of therapy, which I'm shocked that there ever even was a stigma for, right. for this kind of thing. Uh, and maybe it's like, 
not being strong for yourself. But, but you need to understand these workings of the mind. Like you don't like the mind is so complex. You're only you your conscious mind is only a fraction of a percent of what what is happening in your mind. And no one, anyone who thinks they understand what's actually happening in the mind, like you don't know. But that loops back to what we were talking about earlier: the mindfulness thing. I think therapy and mindfulness, like understanding how to be present and understanding your emotions and your feelings, it all loops together. And I think the more you are in tune with that, the more inspiration you can find where you just feel like you're on fire, whether or not you're like a musician or an artist or, or I just find when I'm really in tune with myself and in tune with my emotions, that's when I'm the most productive because when my mind starts drifting elsewhere, it's really hard to do something, whether it's even picking up creative ideas for, for projects that I'm working on, producing music, get taking calls with my team and, and brainstorming about stuff. It's really hard to do that when your mind is elsewhere. So it all it's all really full circle. It's all really full circle. Mm. Spencer, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned this past, call it year, Tell us what's the biggest realization. Or like, are you focused on anything right now? A mental framework perspective, Absolutely. life philosophy? Okay. I'm almost grateful that COVID happened in a way now hmm. because I'm not grateful for COVID. Let me clarify. <laughs> I, think, I think COVID is horrible. I think it's an awful disease. It's taking lives. I think that's terrible. But I'm saying I'm grateful that this pause in the world happened because at the beginning, when all my shows got canceled, we had so many shows from my second album tour. And it really, I was depressed as hell. Like, I was like, what just happened? I, yeah. I had all these shows in all these countries planned. And my income is axed this year. And then month after month, I was getting more depressed. I'm like, what is happening and why kind of thing? As we were settling into this temporary normal, like this temporary thing that we're dealing with, it forced me to go back into basics. It's what am I grateful for? I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful for the ability to make music. I'm grateful that people want to even listen to my music in the first place. That's like an artist's dream, that I have a platform for people to hear my music. I'm grateful for the, the beautiful weather out right now. I'm grateful for being able to put food on the table. There's all these things. And it's, and it's almost like this gratitude was learned through everything being taken away from me, where I didn't feel like I was always grateful for everything, but not this level, not this deep level of, wow, what really matters in life is like love around you, like family and friends and health and all these things. That is what life is all about right there. It's not about the clout and the, the, the who's bigger and the, the biggest shows and like all that stuff. That's fun, but it's that's not what life is all about. So it's caused this shift in my mind where I'm like, I'm really focusing on all these silver linings. And with this shift has come the biggest creative breakthroughs of my entire career. This music I've been making since I had this really shifted mindset of, of, of finding the silver linings. I am the most proud of this music, of any music I've ever written in my entire life. And that's not saying it's the best music or it's going to blow up or whatever. This isn't me like stroking my ego here. It's just like artistically, I'm very proud of what I've been doing. And I think mm -hmm. that's, again, it's the authenticity that matters. Like for me, 
I love what I'm doing. That's all that matters. Some people may love it. Some people may hate it. That's okay. I was going to say, this conversation has been amazing and, and very insightful into Spencer's uh, brain. If you have a piece of advice for young and hungry Spencer or for someone in high school starting their college career, what would you tell them? First and foremost, believe in yourself. That's the absolute key to getting anything done because no one cares at the end of the day except mm yourself like it's i'm not trying to be dark or extremist but at the end of the day you if you believe in yourself that is what matters like seeking approval from what other people think about you or something that's it's just a never-ending spiral that that can really drive you insane and out of control you can't let other people's stuff get in the way of what you believe so believing in yourself is my biggest piece of advice. The key to success is believing in yourself because when you believe in yourself, others will also believe in you and things happen. Spencer, this has been such an amazing conversation. I think many things you've said are gonna resonate a lot with a lot of people in their 20s and so this has just been an absolute blast. Spencer, yeah, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for having me. It's, it, it has been an absolute pleasure.